Today we observe the feast of Saints Peter and Paul, a celebration of two of the greatest preachers in the history of the church. Well, you may ask, okay, so how great were they? Do you all remember that thing we used to do back in the 70s and 80s? Somebody would say something to me and say, how great were they? Um, well, in Acts chapter 2, we find Peter's very first sermon given on the day of Pentecost. It was a masterpiece of explaining the gospel through the Hebrew scriptures. And as a result of his preaching, 3,000 people were baptized into the Christian faith in one day. Paul was a powerful preacher as well. He traveled throughout the eastern part of the Roman Empire, confronting sin wherever he found it, whether individual, cultural, or national. He had no fear of mere human beings. He taught that it is only through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ that someone is set free from the bondage to evil. So effective was his preaching that in Acts 17, we see an entire city rising up and saying he is turning the world upside down. You know, that world that Paul was turning upside down is a lot like our world today. Ethnic strife, political divisions, famines, epidemics, economic collapses, even terrorist attacks, wars everywhere, sexual immorality, infanticide. Sound familiar? Back then, the church did not meekly sit by and watch all of this happen. From its earliest days, the church intervened to help the poor and the sick. For example, it was very common amongst non-Christians if they had a female baby or a baby that was born with any type of defect to set the child out and expose it to the elements and have it die that way. The church would see these babies and would go rescue them and raise them as their own. They did this because they received in their minds and in their hearts and in their wills the preaching of the gospel. They believed what those early sermons taught, that they received the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And so they had to show the world the love of God through practical means. As I just said, our world today is much like the world of the apostles and their disciples with one notable exception. Sins such as sexual perversion and abortion were outside the church. But today, many who claim to be Christians, even entire denominations, call such sins good and right. How did this come about? I think church history shows us many reasons, but fundamentally it came down to this, the faithlessness of preachers. Many churches known by different names, which came from solid backgrounds of biblical teachings, have abandoned the ministry of scriptural preaching. Sermons which once confronted sin and offered the gospel as the only remedy have disappeared to be replaced by self-help talks designed to make their audiences feel good about themselves, no matter how wicked their lives are. 
If there was ever a time in the church's history in which biblical preaching is needed more than ever, it is today. Now, either in a lay capacity or in ordained ministry, I've been preaching the gospel for over 40 years. I started out when I was in a Jesus rock and roll group that did tours throughout Missouri and Arkansas and Texas and Tennessee and Kentucky, and we always had in the middle of our concerts a gospel presentation. And we actually had some fairly good-sized crowds. Our biggest one was at a concert we did in Dallas where we had over 3,000 people there. And, of course, back then you didn't prepare your sermons. You just spoke off the top of your head. But as I said, I've been preaching the gospel for over 40 years, and I can say without fear of contradiction Preaching is hard work. When I prepare a sermon, it takes two or more days of prayer, reflection, studying the text in both English and the original languages, looking for the right illustrations and finding the most meaningful applications. And this isn't all that unusual. Any preacher worth his salt will do the same. It's hard work. But more significantly, preaching is critically important work. In Acts chapter 6, verse 4, the apostles tell the church that the most important task for pastoral ministry is being devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now this word devoted in the original text means to be constantly and steadfastly committed to a particular task. And we see this sort of devotion taught in our sermon text, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-8. through 2 Timothy was written by Paul to his protege, Timothy, who was serving as a pastor in Ephesus at the time. Paul wrote this letter from prison in Rome shortly before his execution. It was a very personal letter written to Timothy as his spiritual son, in which he charged Timothy to be bold and faithful and to stand against false teachers, especially through the ministry of preaching. In verse 1 of our text, we read, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by the appearing appearing of his kingdom. This is important, Timothy. This is serious business. I charge you in the presence of God, in the presence of God's Holy Spirit, before the mightiest of witnesses, I charge you in the authority I have in Jesus Christ, who will return and triumph, judge all of humanity, and establish his kingdom. And to this charge, Paul gave it a personal note when he exhorted Timothy in view of the fact that he will soon be executed. In verses 6 through 8, Paul writes, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Paul is saying, by grace, Timothy, by God's grace, I have been faithful, and you should be too. Follow my example. 
Now we might say that verses 6 through 8 is kind of emotional manipulation. You could read it kind of as Paul whining. I'm going to die soon, Timothy, so you need to take over. But verse 1 makes this very clear. Paul is speaking as a representative of the king of kings. I command you, Timothy, as one who is faithful and who will soon be killed for that, to be faithful to the ministry into which you have been called. The essence of Paul's charge is simple, and it's found in the first three words of verse 2. Preach the word. In the original text, the word here translated as preach means to be like a royal herald and to proclaim something that the king had sent, a message. It could also mean to speak on behalf of a sovereign. Timothy was not to speak his own opinions, but rather he was to preach the word, the word of the king of kings. And throughout his letters, Paul uses the expression, preach the word, to mean proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, this is hard work. It requires constant preparation. Be ready in season and out, Paul continues in verse 2. To be ready in season and out means that Timothy had to devote himself continually to the study of scriptures that he might be ready at any time. The word given here as be readily, be ready means literally to be constantly prepared. Timothy had to be prepared whether in season, that is at the time he knew he was going to preach, when the scene was set like a worship service, or out of season when he didn't expect it at all. And the only way he could do that was to be constantly in the Word. story is told of an old Ozark preacher, and I can pick on Ozarkans because that's where my family is from. A story is told of an old Ozarkan preacher who didn't prepare during the week. After all, preparing quenched the Holy Spirit. Instead, while they were singing the hymns, he would pray, Lord, give me your word. Lord, give me your word. And one day the Lord did give him his word. You want a word from me? Okay, here it is. You are lazy. You can laugh. <laughs> Effective preaching requires certain attitudes, as we see in verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. To be sober-minded means to be calm, collected, circumspect. To endure suffering in the original text literally means to stand up against evil. To do the work of an evangelist means always be a messenger of the good news of the gospel. It was only in doing this that Timothy could fulfill the ministry to which God had called him. And these attitudes can only come through prayer and grounding in the word of God. Going back to verse 2, Paul tells us that faithful preaching will reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. It reproves, that is, it corrects, refutes, or chastens. It rebukes, pronouncing God's judgment appropriately. It exhorts, it admonishes, it encourages, it teaches 
encumbrance as required in the circumstances. So preaching does not consider personal preferences or seek the false comfort of complacency. Instead, it addresses the real situations in which Christians find themselves. It is frank in its assessment, practical in its application, and kind in its intent. It's not nice. It's kind. Niceness worries about making other people and ourselves uncomfortable. Kindness is concerned with the welfare of others, regardless of how uncomfortable it may be. Nice says, I don't want to wake up my neighbor. He's probably sound asleep. Kind says, well, yeah, he may not like me awakened, but his house is on fire. No one would commend niceness with a house fire, much less than when souls are at stake. It is a kindness to say, unless you repent and believe the gospel, you will suffer the torments of the damned through all eternity. That is kindness. This is not to say that preaching is to be callous or harsh. In verse 2, again, Paul tells Timothy to preach with complete patience and teaching. The preacher is to be patient, taking the long-term view, regardless how difficult it is. And as any good preacher, he must realize that it takes some people longer than others to understand and believe the truth. Like effective teaching, good preaching seeks multiple ways to explain the gospel, carefully examining the text, illustrating it with stories and analogies, and making practical, real-life applications. Why is this so important? In verses 3 through 4, we read, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. The time is coming. The result, the inevitable result, of preaching the truth is that the devil will send false preachers. Paul foresaw this would happen in Ephesus, and that's why he left Timothy there. People will not endure sound teaching, Paul says. Preaching the Bible requires hard work, and receiving the preaching of the word requires it also. It can be difficult to hear the truth. It requires an effort to understand and apply the scriptures, especially when they happen to rebuke our sins and challenge our places of comfort. The phrase sound teaching in the original text meant instruction that leads to good health. Physical exercise results in a strong body, but that's hard work, isn't it? Dieting to lose unhealthy weight, that's hard work. Receiving sound teaching is also hard work. People don't want hard. They want nice. They want to have their ears scratched. They want to hear something pleasant. They want to be pandered to and not confronted. They want nice. They follow their favorite teachers, buying their books, watching their shows, listening to their programs, sending them vast amounts of money, 
And why? Because it suits their passions. It affirms their own desires and cravings and lusts. It's easy for us to look at apostate denominations and point to them as examples of false preachers. But how many popular evangelical preachers and teachers who are there to speak and write nice things? The bookshelves of Christian bookstores and programs on Christian TV and radio and websites are littered with them. I even saw one recently where he got up on the stage and he gave this big, you know, exhalation and said, COVID-19, I blow you away in the name of Jesus. And I'm like, what? How about you use some of that money that everyone sends you to support some testing and clinics for those in disadvantaged areas like the early church did? The end result of these false teachers, Paul said, is that people turn away. The word here in the original text means to desert. They don't accidentally wander off. It's a deliberate act of rebellion. They turn away from listening to the truth, and they wander off into myths. Paul uses the word myth throughout his letters to mean clever fictions that pretend to explain the reasons for things. But they are deliberate lies. I have seen this in the lives of so many of my parishioners through the years, especially those who attend so-called prophecy conferences. They love discussing the latest conspiracy theory. They spend lots of money and time on gratifying curiosity and not one minute or one dollar on discipleship and evangelism that could arise from sound teaching and preaching. So what does sound preaching sound look like? How can we tell if someone is preaching a gospel sermon? First, the sermon will be centered on Christ, who is the one and only truth, who is the one and only king, who will return to judge the living and the dead. Second, its foundation will be the word of God. It will be based on a careful consideration of the text not using the text as a springboard for jumping off into something altogether different. Third, it will contain God's good news to humanity and not some human's good idea about God. The true good news tells it all, both the bad news, you are a sinner, you stand condemned, and the good news. There is a loving God who longs to save you through his son, Jesus Christ. Repent and believe the gospel. Fourth, it demonstrates a lot of work and prayer went into it. Remember, sound preaching is hard work. Fifth, it is practical. It speaks to real-life situations. It rebukes when necessary because of real-life sins. It corrects errors that can lead to tragedy. It leads to Christ-centered living, encouraging evangelism and discipleship. It is hard work, but it is necessary because souls are at stake. 
when I die, and I hope that's not for a few years, when I die, I hope that whatever else may be said about me or my ministry, good or bad, it will be said, he was a preacher of the word. When you're in a situation when there is a new pastor, um, and it will come one day, um, then your first question should be, is he a preacher of the word? No pastor can be a preacher of the word without God's grace. And that is why it is important that we pray for pastors everywhere. Without the prayers of the saints, how powerless are the pulpits? Could this be in part why there is so much bad or even heretical preaching? I need your prayers. When our people who are training in the ministry, and we have some now, and we'll soon be having more here, they need your prayers. Whenever we have a guest preacher, he, she needs your prayers. Pray for us before we preach that God would give us his words, his words. If you can do so without being distracted, pray for us while we preach that God would open the ears of our listeners. Pray for us after we preach that the sermon would bear fruit in the lives of those who hear. Pray for us who preach, for there is no greater challenge than this. Preach the word. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.